could you just come home with me and then every time I walk in the door, everybody could cheer and I could be so happy. So good morning, everybody. You may be wondering, where's everybody at? They were all here last night. And so if you're wondering, uh, those of you that were here, you know, that knows that a whole lot of people were here. We do a yearly candlelight service, and we did it last night. It was so neat, and so uh, we're, we're glad for that. Um, by the way, for those of you here last night, you're going to get a, not a repeat, because we have a Christmas miracle every year. You do, and it happened last night. The Christmas miracle is that I really can speak for only 15 minutes. That ship has come and gone, and so you should have been there last night. You wanted it. Okay, okay, then come next time, and you can see the Christmas miracle again. Uh, today, I want to talk about the zeal of the Lord, and it's really funny. God is God, in case you didn't know, and he can make edicts if he wants to. He can, says, he can say, I'm going to do this, and, uh, and a lot of promises that God makes are kind of conditional. If you'll do this, then I'll do this, and you do this, and I'll do this, but only God can say, I'm going to do this. It's really cute. We, at the end of the year, say, we're going to raise $12,000. That's not an edict. That's just, if you all will help us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know when your kids are little and too big to fight you, you can make edicts to them, and they have to do what you say. And then who's raised teenagers and then adults? How many know you lose a little authority the older they get? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can make edicts, but it's not going to happen. And so God makes some, some, and he makes one here in Isaiah. And so God makes some declarations of his sovereignty. He went to Abraham. And he didn't say, Abraham, if you'll cooperate with me and do this and this and I'll do this. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And I'm going to do this or do this. And he said, you can cooperate or not, but that's what I'm going to do. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. And so that was one of those sovereign statements that Jesus made. He didn't say, so y'all pitch in and help. He says, help or not, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's the beauty of the scripture out of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for us, for to us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is the, probably the verse that has probably turned my life around more than most any I ever know. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will not be an end. There is not going to be an end to the increase of the kingdom of God. He came and started that with a, with a seed of his own life. And he says, it's going to multiply and flourish for eternity. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish it and uphold it with fairness and justice for all eternity. And this is where God says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Now, Isaiah says this in about 700 B.C., before Jesus came. And it had been 300 years since the time of David, you know, when the kingdom was big and things were thriving and the Philistines were running and David's just doing his thing. It had been 300 years since Israel had seen that kind of wonderful things go on. And it would be another 100 years. And then all of Israel would be taken into captivity under Babylonian rule. Nebuchadnezzar would come and sweep the place. And these guys would go into captivity. And then after when Jesus finally came, it had been 400 
years since a prophet had spoken to Israel. Do you know how long 400 years is? Does anybody know what happened 400 years ago? In 1620, Plymouth Rock, that's when the pilgrims came. 400 years ago. By the way, just, just to let you know, do you know how many pilgrims, how many people came over on the Mayflower? There were 102. It was not massive corporate America moving in. Do you know how many were alive after the first year? 43. Most of them perished the first year through disease, through starvation, uh, and really if the Native Americans hadn't helped them, they all probably would have died. So at that first Thanksgiving that everybody likes to, to talk about how bad it was, the truth is they were barely alive, but they were thankful, and that was in 1621, 400 years ago. Let you know how long 400 years is. It had been 400 years. I mean, it's like some of you, feels like it's been 400 years since you heard a good sermon. No, just four weeks. It's not bad. You know, I mean, you get 400 years without a word from God. That's just a long time. So it was dark days for Israel. They were a vassal state of Rome. Rome had come in, and they were, they were uh, subject to them, and it was, it was a terrible situation. The religion was corrupt. The Jewish leaders in Rome had made kind of a deal, and they were, had a little deal worked out that Rome would let them practice their little crazy religion. And to the Romans, the Jewish religion was crazy. They did ate funny food. They wore funny clothes. The whole circumcision thing was just flat weird in those days. But that's what those Jewish people do. And the Romans didn't care about their religion. They wanted the do-re-mi. They wanted their money. And so you guys go preach and sing and whatever you guys do in that weird temple that you have and kill, kill animals like you do. We don't care about that. We just want to tax you beyond belief. And so the, the religious people had, uh, had made a deal with Rome. And so when it was dark, dark days for Israel, 400 years, Galatians says at the exact, at the proper time, at the fullness of time, at the appointed time when God had everything ready. Everything ready. It couldn't have been worse. And God says, now it's time to do what I'm going to do. When God had everything set. And then I, I, I put the scriptures in your bulletin because to write them out would have just taken about three bulletins. So the scripture references, I, you, you've got there in your bulletin. You've got them with you. So I'm not going to take time to read every single one of them. But I did want you to have them so then you can, you can go home and read it just to make sure that I'm really telling you the truth. And so God first appears to, uh, through Gabriel the angel to Gabriel, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. Now, in the day, sometimes we think of the, of the temple as being this little, you know, uh, uh, like an old-fashioned church and a little place. And, you know, had the reverend and minister. Do you know the temple employed, as it were, the priests that managed the temple? There were 18,000 of them at any given time. 18, there was a lot of stuff going on. They didn't have church just on Saturday. The, the temple would run 24-7. There were sacrifices going all the time, and somebody's got to clean that stuff up. Somebody's got to take care of this temple and, and, and make sure all that happens. So there was about 18,000 priests that were available to do what happened to Zechariah. Just, I want you to think of the odds of this stuff. And the odds, it wasn't a merit system that you did really good and were a good priest for five years then you could get to go into the Holy of Holies. No, 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 this was, they said, cast lots. 
And it was really a roll of the dice. And the roll of the dice landed that year on this guy by the name of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah had had kind of a tough life in that he was a priest. And in those days, if you didn't have children, there's something wrong with you, or more likely something wrong with your wife, that God was really ticked at you, God was really mad at you. And so that's why you didn't have any children, because there's something wrong with you. Can you believe people believe that? Isn't it funny, like I've heard, you know, people have a hard time in their life. All kinds of people say, there's something wrong in your life. It's about as stupid as to believe that, isn't it? Good preaching pastor. Just snuck it in on you. Anyway, and so, and so uh, Zachariah's there, and he, uh, he's, he get, he's getting ready to offer the sacrifice. And there he is. And it's, it's a big deal for this guy. The chance of a lifetime. Out of 18,000 people, you don't get many chances. The chance of a lifetime for old Zach to get in there. And, and so Zechariah was there standing before the Lord, getting ready to do his ritual that he had been taught and practiced and learned, knew how to do. And all of a sudden, when he's getting ready, this angel appears, Gabriel. Oh, my word. Can you say distraction? You know, I'm trying to preach a sermon right now. If Gabriel, the angel, just stood right here, uh, pay no attention to, no, I mean, you know, you're distracted. And the angel gives Zechariah this incredible promise. And he says, you and your wife are going to have a baby. <laughs> Zechariah says, you know how old I am. And then he caught himself, read it. He says, and my wife, he didn't say as old because he wanted to go home that day. He says, is well along in years. <laughs> and so he says, uh, you know, it's, uh, hey, Gabriel said, it's, it's going to happen. And so think of it. You're in the holy of holies, chance of a lifetime. You get the throw of the dice, it lands in your favor. Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to have a child. And you know what Zechariah said? I need some more information. I need proof. What, how can you guarantee this? And Gabriel says, are you kidding me? I am Gabriel, the archangel, and I stand in the presence of God. What is wrong with you, boy? Come on. And he says, if you don't, if you keep talking that way, you're going to talk yourself right out of this. So shut up and you won't talk until your baby's born. And when it's born, I want you to call his name John. So, so Zechariah's in there a long time. This is supposed to be like a two-hour thing, and he's in there all afternoon, and everybody outside's supposed to be praying, and you know they weren't. You know they're eating bagels. <laughs> Who's ever been to a long prayer meeting and has more eating than praying? <laughs> well, anyway, sorry. Anyway, so they're outside, and they're all waiting for him to come out. Finally, he comes out, and they say, how was it? And he can't say a word. And he starts to make motions and hand gestures, and he's really not making a whole lot of sense. And so they take him home, and he and Mrs. Zechariah, matter of fact, her name was Elizabeth, they get together and they have a baby. And so it's, uh, and it just so happened. Isn't it coincidence how, how I'm sure God was so surprised Elizabeth happened to be Mary, the Virgin Mary's aunt. Her aunt. They had never heard of the Virgin Mary. Elizabeth knew that she had a, a niece that was going to get married here in a little while, but it's not like they stayed close on Facebook. It was villages back in those days. And so the angel comes to, to, uh, to, to Mary, and she's the peasant from nowhere, busy with wedding plans. You know how young girls do. They're always planning. I've learned over the course of years, whenever teenage girls come to a wedding, 
They never come to see the wedding and congratulate the bride and groom. They're always coming because they're planning their own wedding. They see things that go on, they'll say, I'll never do that. That's really dumb. Or they see things that go on and say, oh, that's sweet. That's so wonderful. I'm going to do that at my wedding. Every girl that I ever knew, they're planning their own wedding. And so there they are. There She's there. And God finds her. And the angel Gabriel comes again. And he's the messenger angel. So God sends him to Nazareth where, where Mary was living. And he says to him, he says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary wondered about that. What are you talking about? You who are highly favored and what are you doing talking to me? And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, Mary had been to Sabbath school enough, had been to the temple enough, that when she heard those kinds of words, that's code word for you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You talk about one in 18,000. Now Mary's faced with one in millions and millions. And this angel is talking to her and says, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And Mary says, see, they didn't understand all that we know about it. They didn't have the scriptures written like we have. They didn't have access to them if they were. They didn't understand any of this, and she didn't either. And so how will these things be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? She says, I don't, I, my mama told me about the birds and the bees. How can I give birth? And I, I'm, I'm a virgin. This won't happen. So Gabriel says, the Holy, Gabriel answered, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So the Holy One born of you, and there's those code words again, who is will, to be born will be called the Son of God. How many know that's just a lot for a girl to hear? I didn't even want to think about how young she was. She was 14, 15, 16 years old, getting this kind of information. And then the angel says to her, and he says, and Elizabeth, your aunt, remember Liz? That lady that all thought was too old to have a baby? God visited her husband and her too, and she's with child. So Mary, I want you to know that anything that comes out of the mouth of God is true. And with God, nothing is impossible. No word of God will ever fail. She was unable to conceive, and she is now in her sixth month. I just think it's wonderful. It's incredible about God's care and God's timing. Mary is confronted. She's engaged, getting ready to be married within a few months. And the angel says to her, you're going to have a baby. And he says, because look at your Aunt Elizabeth. It's an incredible confirmation to her. So Mary responds with, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be done unto me according to your word. This girl was surrendered. But God set it up for her. God brought a child to Elizabeth that was beyond childbearing years. It was her aunt. And the angel says, you know, she's six months along. Mary, why don't you go visit her? So Mary leaves and goes and visits her aunt and stays there for three months until the aunt has a child. And by the way, that child who was born was John, 
They said to call him John, and he steps onto the pages of Scripture as John the Baptist, was actually Jesus' cousin. She stays there three months, and then it's, it's in your bulletin. You can take the time to read Mary's song. After the angel visits her, and she begins to understand what, she, what has happened, she said, Lord, my soul magnifies you. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for God has chosen someone as humble as I, someone as nobody as I, to bear the Son of God. It's a great read. It's actually a song that Mary, Mary gives, and it's the incredible power of influence that her aunt had in her life, and God understands that, so God connects the dots. And God knows how to do that. But then we have Joseph. He's the bewildered boyfriend. And he's a good man, the Bible says. And so his fiance says she's going to have a baby. And it's from the Holy Spirit. Gentlemen, if when you were engaged and you knew that you hadn't been with your, 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 your fiance, and she said she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit, who would believe that? And if you would, have I got some land in Florida that you would like? Nobody's going to believe that. John, uh, Joseph didn't believe it. And he says, you're kidding me. And so God cares enough about Joseph, the individual, that he comes to him in a dream. And you know what he says? Just like God always says, don't be afraid, Joseph. Did you ever wonder how much you've missed out on because you were afraid? How many deals you've missed out on? How many opportunities you've missed out on? How many wonderful things could have been, but you were so afraid you did dare not? And he says to Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. What Mary's telling you is true. That which is born in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, for he's going to save his people from their sins. And since Joseph was a good man, Joseph believed God when he spoke to him in a dream, and took Mary to be his espoused wife. They were long engagement back in the day. And then we have Mr. Caesar, Caesar Augustus, the clueless emperor. And again, Caesar Augustus, he was, he was not in Israel at the time. He was in Rome, probably eating fattening food. When I think of Caesar Augustus, I think of a real fat guy. Anybody think of a fat Caesar? Matter of fact, he was so arrogant. Augustus, he named the month of August after himself because he thought we would all want to remember him every August. But anyway, so, so what, was, what, what was set up during that time is the Roman, Roman calendar, I mean, the Roman schedule was they did a census every 14 years. U.S. does a census every year. And the reason they would do a census is so they could get the proper tax money. And Caesar's around there. He said, well, it's census time again. And so God planned all this perfectly. And all the census didn't happen at all at once. What they would do, they would start in all the, the provinces of Rome, Israel being one of them, and they would stagger these times so that everybody could get counted and they could collect the proper tax money. And so the census comes and it just so happened that it's time for Nazareth to be counted. And everybody had to go to their hometown where they came from, which was Bethlehem for Joseph. So he takes his very pregnant fiance down to Bethlehem so they can be counted. And I'll bet you Caesar Augustus thought he thought of that himself. 
and I don't want to say God manipulated because that makes God sound like a manipulator, but God coordinated that whole thing and stupid Caesar thought he was the guy in charge. Amen. He thought since he was the emperor of Rome that all my things, he was the biggest deal in town. And he's probably drunk on his own power. And God says, I want you to do it now. And so God was in, arranged in that every 14 years, long before Caesar Augustus ever showed up. But the Bible says, Caesar issues a decree, right. Good for you, Caesar. I'm so happy for you. Because God needed to get that baby from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Because the scripture said, the child is going to be born in Bethlehem. So God uses really, really big people, important people, public people, and he helped very, very private, peasant, kind of nobodies, as the Christmas story tells us. And so then as Jesus says, they take him to Bethlehem, he is born, and when it says the manger, I know all of us have the manger scenes, the truth of it is he was born in a cave, Outside of Bethlehem, if you've ever been there, outside of Bethlehem, not a cave like you walk into, but they're clefts of the rock where the shepherds would take care of their sheep and where the animals were kept. Instead of a manger, there was no wood in Israel. And the truth it is, a little babe in a manger, you know, the wooden things that we see, it was really a, a, a I don't want to say a slop trough, but it was a, probably a stone where animals ate from. Right. Not the cleanest thing in the world. But that's why there were cloths there, a swaddling cloth to kind of clean things up. And so Jesus was born there in a manger, and these shepherds are out watching their sheep by night. What a boring job. How many of you know that would just be awful? You're watching sheep, hoping the wolves don't come, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up. And they didn't say, praise God. You're out there by yourself, or however many there were, and out there by yourself, and all of a sudden this angel shows up, and it was the angel of the Lord, and they were scared. They were terrified. So the angel says, don't be afraid. Every time the angel shows up, people would freak. So he said, don't be afraid. And so he says, behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to you and to everyone. For unto you this day is born a Savior, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then if that wasn't enough, then there was a heavenly host, which is probably thousands of angels that lit up the sky. How do you know God knows how to make an entrance? He, the place sky lights up. The whole place is filled with angels. These shepherds, they're not sitting reading the Bible waiting for the angels to show. They're just freaking out. I wonder if they thought they smoked too much peyote. It was legal back then because for medicinal purposes. <laughs> no, and so they, they just, they're just going nuts. And the angel said, and they, were, and they said unto them, but we've always said that the angel sang, glory. They were saying this to them. Matter of fact, I looked through all the translations I could and finally found the message Bible that says they were singing praises to God. So that's the one I went with because I don't want to tear up all of your Christmas. But anyway, so the angels were singing, praising God, and, uh, and it's made such a, a, an entrance that uh, the heavens light up. And I think this is where the Magi saw his star in the east. I can't prove it, but neither can you, so since I have the microphone, my opinion matters. 
See, the Magi says we were there and we saw, the, we saw something going on in the heavens. See, these guys were astrologers and we don't even believe in them. And they said, we saw something going on in the heavens and this star led us to, to Christ. Anyway, so the Magi get there. And if you're from the east, probably from Babylon, uh, and if you're coming there, you're going to go, if you're going to go to Israel, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And so they finally get to Jerusalem and it was a year, year and a half, maybe two years, took them to get there. And you know why the wise men took so long to get to Israel, to find them? Because they were men and they would not ask directions. <laughs> Just easy. These guys are from Babylon. It takes a while to get there. It takes a while to get packed up. It takes a while to get the entourage. They had very expensive packages, and you didn't travel by yourself. You carry in the gold frankincense myrrh of that kind of value. You're going to have a whole bunch of people with you. So they get to Jerusalem, and they don't know. They're from the east. They don't know our ways. And so they said to the king, where's this newborn king that's been born? And Herod says, newborn king, what are you talking about? Yeah, we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So Herod gets all the Bible guys together, the Pharisees and the, and the leaders, and he said, what's this deal about the king? Where is he going to be born? Well, and they said, well, according to the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, he was going to be born in, in, in Bethlehem. And when did this happen? And the Magi said, oh, months ago, they didn't give exact time, but it, it doesn't say they give the exact time, but about this time. So Herod, being the Nimrod that he is, he said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a ticket like Tommy Finagelin. Anybody know Tommy Finagelin, the liar? Too late, too old? It's a Saturday Night Live skit from about 20 years ago. Sorry about that. Anyway, he said, let me know when you find the king because I would like to come and worship him. Right. So they follow the star. And when they, get, when they follow the star, they get to the house. Jesus was long gone from the manger. Most of you know that. He, the wise men never got to the manger. But our nativity sets only have so much room. So you've got to put them in a nativity set. So anybody that's bothered by that. So they got there about a year and a half, maybe up to two years later. And so when they got there, they went to the house. Evidently, Joseph and Mary stayed in Bethlehem for a while. Scholars say he probably owned property in, in Bethlehem, and so they stayed there. So they get there, and the wise men, they unpack these very valuable gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and Herod hears about it. So God warns the Magi, warns the Magi Herod's out to get you. Go home another way. Go back to Babylon another way. And so Herod does what kings did back in the day, is he kills all the competition. And so he orders a hit on all the little babies born in Judea around that time for babies two years old and younger were to be killed. So the Magi bring these incredible provision. And I know a lot of folks have a lot of uh, talk about what they meant, and I'm, I'm sure all that's true. I've often thought sometimes the Lord says, wow, I didn't mean to write that in there, but it sure seems to fit. The truth of it is they brought him things because God was going to talk to Joseph and say, Herod's out to get you guys, head out to Israel, head out to Egypt. Because the truth of it is the Bible says that this Savior is going to come from Nazareth, he's going to come from Egypt, 
and he's going to come from Bethlehem. So come on, God, make up your mind. See, the Bible contradicts itself. I don't think so. Jesus came from all of those places. And God orchestrated it to the max. So he said, you better get to Egypt, and you're going to need something to live on. So the wise men gave them very sellable items. If that would have been in our day, it would have been a gas card. It would have been cash to get set up residence because they were there for several years. It would have been however you would travel and, make, and start anew. God gave them enough that they could sell that stuff because God is incredibly, incredibly practical. He makes things like that happen. So the wise men come and give them all kinds of things, sellable items because the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Messiah would come from Egypt, from Nazareth, and from Bethlehem. So I've told you the Christmas story. Now I want to read for you Colossians 1.15. What does Colossians 1.15 have to do with the Christmas story? Give me a chance. It says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme all over, over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things which we can see and the things which we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authority in the unseen world. Everything, listen to me, guys, everything was created through him and for him. Now, history has 2020 vision. When you look at what God did through the Christmas story, through these different players in history, you can say, oh, wow, God, you planned that well. But sometimes when you're in the middle of it and you haven't heard a prophet in 400 years and you're wondering if God's forgotten about you altogether and if this thing is just isn't working, it isn't flying, it can almost feel like you're out there by yourself. God used authorities. He used Caesar. He used Herod. He used those big guys for his purpose because it all belongs to him. And then God cares deeply about the smallest details of your life. Like Mary and Aunt Elizabeth like Joseph and his fears of taking to be his wife, somebody that's already pregnant. See, the macro view on a global scale, you can look at the political divide and say, oh my God, what's going to happen? You can look at the global economy. You can look at the local unstable economy. You look at the future, maybe even of our own country and say, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? A lot of folks are absolutely crippled with anxiety. Frustration boils over often because the uncertainty that you see on a global scale 
You've lost your joy, and you're about to lose your faith. Or maybe those big worldly things don't affect you because that's not where you live. Maybe it's the local things that are going on in your life. You feel alone. Maybe you're in a marriage that's not working. It's not developing. You're in a relationship. You're in a job that looks like it's going nowhere fast. You're terrified. You've got children that are not responding to God, to you, and they're making all kinds of wrong choices. Maybe you're raising teenagers and it's just not going the way you had planned. Terrified of the future, all the changes going on, it just brought chaos to your life. Not just the pandemic, but how quickly the world is changing and things are so different. For those of us that have been around a while, change is really, really fast, doesn't it? Maybe you're exhausted, stressed. And will I ever be well again? Will I ever be normal again? Will things ever be good for me again? Isaiah made a promise 700 years before it happened that this king would arise. A child would come and a king would be born and the government would rest on his shoulders and in the increase of his government, there would not be an end. The Christmas events talk about that. Come on up, musicians, we're going to wrap it up. The truth of it is God has a plan of redemption. Not just a grand plan for like the whole world. I think God has a plan of redemption for you. I think God has a plan of redemption for me. And sometimes you look down the pike and you don't see God's hand much. Because it seems like the Lord is about half late about half the time. But God has a wonderful plan to redeem you. See, this is not just magic words that if you believe it, it'll come true. Click your heels three times and you'll be home, Dorothy. No, no, it's not about that. It's about God's intimate connection to you. That he knows you. He knows you by name. And he has arranged redemption for your life. So, Pastor, my business will make it. Maybe not. So my marriage is going to turn around and it's going to be what? Maybe not. See, those are magic words that you can't guarantee. But I will say it's not magic, it's miraculous that God will redeem you. God will come to you because he controls and manages it all. And that if you will respond, like that night when, the Gabe, when Gabriel talked to that young girl, Mary. She said, be it done unto me according to your will. Be it done, O Lord, unto me according to your word. Surrender. Really, bud, really, you do not have what it takes to finish the race. But Jesus does. And God will strengthen you. God will give you heart encourage you give you the courage that you need to make the decisions you have to make and he'll be there with you 
he'll walk those out with you. And I think things will be better for you than you ever thought possible. Who would have in those days ever thought that the Messiah would be a child that would be born, take upon himself the sins of the entire world so that redemption wouldn't just be for the nation of Israel, but redemption would be spread to anyone who would believe. That's what I'm asking you to do is start with believing. Start with opening your life to Christ. If you've never done that, maybe it's been a long time since you have done it. I'm asking you to do that this morning. Jesus, here I am. God knows the deep things of your heart that probably nobody else knows, and he's fine with that. Lord, here I am. Let it be done to me, Lord. Work your plan in me, O oh Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear people that have gathered this morning. Lord, I thank you for your mighty hand that is with them. That even though it feels like we are battling this alone, we're not. For, oh Lord, you are with us. You are there for us. And you will help us. So, Lord, during this Christmas season and the fun, the joys, the gifts, and all that goes with it, Lord, we remember you. And, Lord, I look to you in Jesus' strong name. Amen.